0: Lights out, and welcome back to the Finishing First podcast. I am your host at the F609, Mr. Frank Skorjewski, once again joined by my co-host, Mr. Michael O'Byrne. How are you, Mike?
1: Doing great, Frank. Great to be back. Great weekend in Barcelona. Great weekend here in the 502. Some bad golf played, but some good racing going on.
0: How are we doing? I'm not too bad. I'm happy to uh, get together. On a short turnaround week and talk a little bit of Spain from Sunday and look ahead to this next uh, weekend coming up in Monaco. As I said, we are the finishing first podcast. We now have a name, a little bit of backstory to this. Uh, We crowdsource the participants of the pool to provide a name after three untitled episodes. Once we uh, narrowed it down to four, I know there has been some feedback I've received from some participants. If you included my name of Frank, or the F into the podcast name, we did not select it as an option. Uh, I like to a little more inclusive now that i do have a co-host for every episode and it's been the same one since we started i did not think it was appropriate to name it after me so we went with the final four of pole position podcast short circuit pod finishing first and fire takes and finishing first just nipped out fire takes so we are the finishing first podcast we are the podcast of the pool participants michael your thoughts
1: we're a part of the people, Frank. The people have spoken. We listen. Finishing first is our new identity. Great to have an identity. Great
0: to finally be named. Let's get it started. This will begin our review of the Spanish Grand Prix. Mike, a very exciting weekend from a race that wasn't hyped up to be that exciting. I will run down some just quick notes from uh, the weekend. Free practice saw the beginning of upgrades and testing of those upgrades for all of the constructors except Haas. Haas chose to not provide any upgrades. Some teams uh, had small upgrades, others had pretty major and significant upgrade packages. We talked a little bit last week on the podcast about uh, some reliability issues that may happen. Due to these upgrades, but it seemed that every team went home to the first race in Europe, uh, closer to home base, and looked to upgrade their cars pretty significantly. The biggest two takeaways from free practice was the Mercedes pace. We will go into, is Mercedes back or not in a little bit? And also the Red Bull lookalike, known as Aston Martin. Probably the best troll I've ever seen on an F1 uh, show so far with the whole entire Red Bull pit crew and uh, management team all drinking green Red Bulls during free practice to troll the Aston Martin lookalike. Michael, any uh, thoughts on free practice?
1: Not too many, but I did think that was super funny, kind of shades of, uh, I forget whatever, it might have been season two of Drive to Survive when the, uh, when the Red Bulls came out and their car looked identical to Mercedes. So kind of shades of that a little bit. But yeah, as you mentioned, a lot of upgrades to a lot of the teams, especially the ones based over in Europe. You mentioned Haas um, electing to not go with any upgrades. You have to wonder if that's because they're an American team and their base camp is based in the United States.
0: So as I understand it, Haas is basically headquartered in England. Uh, But uh, they have like, you know, four or five employees in uh, that small town in North Carolina, uh, South Carolina, or wherever they're actually located, Uh, basically just where Gene Haas is from. Gunther Steiner made it to seem that Haas just has the pace. And obviously, as we'll get into in in qualifying here, Haas did have the pace to compete at Barcelona. Uh, Maybe not the results that they wanted, but they did have the pace without the upgrade package. So that was good. Also, I'm not sure how this is playing into the cost cap. The new f 122 22 rules have deemed a cost cap. This is no longer Major League Baseball, um, European Soccer, where you can just spend as much money as you want, and teams with the resources are always going to be better than teams with smaller resources. But because of the cost cap, teams are maybe being a lot more selective with what they are choosing to use their money on and their upgrades. So maybe that was a smart move by Haas. The result wasn't there, but... That might at least give some explanation. Let's get right into qualifying. I'll run down the top ten results from Q3. Charles Leclerc taking pole, Max Verstappen in second, Carlos Sainz taking third, George Russell of the Mercedes, and my aforementioned Pace coming up in fourth. Sergio Perez rounding out the top five. Lewis Hamilton in sixth. Valtteri Bottas, Kevin Magnussen, Daniel Ricciardo, and Mick Schumacher. Mick making his first Q3 appearance, and uh, what a day that was for the Haas uh, to get two people in there. But really, the story coming out of qualifying, in my opinion, was their Mercedes pace. Uh, It seems like a lot of our pool is paying attention, and they noticed that Mercedes pace, as George Russell was a popular pick, as well as Lewis Hamilton this week. We saw a lot of Fernando Alonso as well in the pool being his home race. What did you think of qualifying? Obviously a lot to unpack here with um, the one lap for Charles, the max no lap at the end, the two Mercedes, the two Haases, even Fernando Alonso with an early exit in his home race. So what do you have to say, Mike?
1: Yeah, it, it was definitely a qualifying with more action than normal. It was stupid hot out there. I think it was 93 degrees Fahrenheit with track temps at like 116 to 120. So it was definitely a hot one. Yeah. A little bit of an interesting qualifying for Fernando Alonso. Some would say he got kind of job by, uh, by Lando Norris, uh, jumping in front of him, uh, at the end or the last lap of Q1. I don't know that it necessarily affected his time. Um, but he was right there on the cut. So they, they had an investigation, nothing necessarily came out of it, but yeah, for Fernando Alonso doesn't make it out of, uh, Q3 and ends up qualifying 17th. A lot of chatter over the Alpine radio waves, basically saying that they left time out there. And Fernando Alonso kind of said after qualifying that they might have made some miscalculations and didn't understand how much time was left in the session, which is concerning at best.
0: It seemed like a lot of people had that problem. There was uh, even they came over George Russell's radio at one point to let him know that he might miss a final lap uh, during one of the qualifying sessions. I'm not sure which, but it seemed like, yeah, there was just some mismanagement. And even in every Q1, it is just mayhem with cars going out on that grid. To have 20 cars out there trying to all set a lap within two minutes of the uh, checkered flag is just ridiculous that they that's how they have it going. But those are the F1 rules. So, as I mentioned earlier, Charles Leclerc did not, uh, I think he spun out on his first lap during mm-hmm. Q3. Uh, he came back to produce a pole position second lap right uh, as the checker flag hit. Max Verstappen was right behind Charles Leclerc coming into. That last run, he seemed to lose some type of power uh, that may have been an uh, effect to maybe some of the upgrades that the Red Bull used, had to pit, and did not post a time, so that allows Charles Leclerc to secure the pole position. Mike, as a Red Bull fan, what are you thinking here, seeing this, uh, Max Verstappen, this is two races in a row that he has been not been able to post a second qualifying time on that last lap in Q3?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's certainly tough, especially on the last lap in Q3 when you're going for pole there. I have a few more thoughts about Max Verstappen a little bit later in the episode when we get into the race review. But yeah, I mean, obviously super disappointing. Losing his power has to go into the pit. Another note just from qualifying Frank, after Q2, the reason why Mick Schumacher actually ended up making it into his first Q3 is because Lando Norris set a pace that got him into P10, and it was uh, deleted for him exceeding track limits barely. So lap gets deleted. Lando doesn't make it out of Q2. Maybe a little bit of karma for jumping in front of uh, Fernando Alonso in Q1. Mick ends up jumping into that 10th spot, makes it into Q3, qualifies 10th. I think that's something of no. Yeah, uh, that's well. that's
0: an that's an interesting point. As I uh, said earlier, the Mercedes pace is there, and getting them to and back into the top 10 is great both hosses being there but the same story of what we were saying about the hosses could also be the two McLarens if Lando Norris gets that uh, top pace and now we're saying that the McLaren looks good um during qualifying but, uh that might be a little bit different of a debate once answer we discuss the res- race results here so I will go right into our race results Max Verstappen coming out on first to Get a Red Bull 1-2 with Sergio Perez. George Russell rounding out the top three to secure his podium for the Mercedes. Carlos Sainz in his home race with a fourth place. Lewis Hamilton with a very impressive fifth place finish. Valtteri Bottas, Esteban Ocon, Lando Norris, Fernando Alonso, Yuki Tsunoda rounds out the top ten. Michael, a lot to unpack here. With the top 10, some familiar names, your former championship leader, Charles Leclerc, name not being mentioned in the top 10 initial race thoughts, what do you have of the Spanish Grand Prix? Uh,
1: it was pure chaos. Uh, a lot happening at the beginning of the race, a lot happening at the end of the race. I think if I were to boil it down into two two words, it was power units, a lot going on with power units in the race. We could talk a little bit what that means more specifically, but yeah, there was um, certainly not a predictable result, which I know is something we've talked about on this podcast before, not wanting predictable results. If you don't want a predictable result, you didn't really get that in this race, uh, and if you watched, I think you certainly enjoyed a lot of the action that you saw.
0: Yes, uh, in a lot of the buildup to the Spanish Grand Prix, it's not a track that normally produces a lot of electric racing it does not produce overtaking and a lot of the drama that goes around that and yet there was drama all over the grid you did say power unit and we will start there with Fernando Alonso taking a power unit penalty even though he would start in 17th they decided to a new power unit in the car and he started in 20th the start of the race uh, had some drama with Carlos Sainz stalling out and then it went right into even more drama with Kevin Magnuson and Lewis Hamilton making contact, Kevin Magnuson going off into the gravel, and Lewis Hamilton puncturing a tire requiring a pit for both gentlemen. Lewis Hamilton and Kevin Magnuson came out around like 17th or 18th at some point after the pit stops. So that caused a uh, unique feeling for uh, some participants in the podcast who had Lewis Hamilton. I got a few text messages during the race that they were not happy with the Kevin Magnuson contact. And uh, it just seems like they're getting a little bit of strong, of bad luck for the Mercedes who obviously had pace.
1: Yeah. It, it, when you're looking at Lewis's driver cam, it looked like Kevin Magnuson kind of just like drove directly into him, which was interesting. Uh, we got a, uh, we got an appearance from sad Lewis uh, after he got back out on the track, basically telling his, uh, <laughs> his race crew that they should save the engine and retire the car. They decided to not listen to Lewis on this occasion. They kept him out, basically said that they felt like they could achieve a, like a P8 or P9. Yeah. Obviously they did better than that.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. They definitely got that result. Right.
1: Yeah. For, for sure. But it was, uh, I don't know if sad Lewis was a Lewis that we've ever seen out on the racetrack. Definitely annoyed Lewis before, but not sad Lewis. So that was, <laughs> I don't want to say fun to see, but it was kind of fun to see.
0: San Um, Luis might stick as a, uh, a describing factor.
1: Yeah, for, for sure. You, you mentioned Carlos signs. If you take a look, if you didn't watch the race and you took a look at the hat and you took Carlos, I think you would be satisfied with the results. But my overall feeling from watching the race was kind of a really uninspiring race from Carlos until about like lap 55, where he really started to climb a little bit and ends up taking his P4. Uh, but yeah, uh, just a disastrous start. Car stalls out, falls back in the pack, and uh, actually fell back a little farther after
0: that. We'll get right into that. Before we even got the lap 10, Carlos sign ended up on the gravel spinning out, as did Max Verstappen. It seemed to be the same turn where a gust of wind was picking up and causing these cars just to lose the littlest bit of grip and end up in the gravel. So for both Uh, drivers to produce top five results after spinning out and ending up on a growl is obviously extremely impressive, but it just goes to show the ever difficulties of driving a very heavy car around that somehow a gust of wind can just throw these things off because they're so aerodynamically sound. I will agree with your Carlos Sainz, I guess critique it. I've been saying this for a while now that I feel that he's just not all there looking at what he's trying to do for the Ferrari is what he needs to do for the Ferrari. Even a fourth place finish only happened because of some Mercedes fears of a DNF potentially from Lewis to where they had a uh, water leak on top of their power unit, another power unit uh, chime in. There we go. I'll take it, get a belt or something, but he was basically just easily past Lewis Hamilton he did make a charge, like you said, to come back, but I just don't think it's all there and it's all working out. That being said, we will move right into basically the biggest news of the race was the power unit failure of Charles Leclerc. Charles Leclerc lost power in his Ferrari at lap 26, pushing him uh, out of the race, and then this led to... A couple different leaders at one point. I think George Russell was in the lead, uh, Checo Perez, and then eventually Max Verstappen. Charles Leclerc goes out. Carlos Sainz needs to pick up what he cannot produce because of these failures in the vehicle. Checo Perez and Max Verstappen do exactly what they need to do in a time of opportunity and put up a 1-2, a podium that has now led to the Red Bull taking over the lead in the constructor and Max Verstappen taking the lead in the driver's championship. What I'm not saying is Checo Perez was asked twice to perform team orders over radio and let Max Verstappen pass him. So Max Verstappen could become the leader in the driver's championship. Checo doing everything asked of him and producing. Are we taking advantage of how good Perez is as a number two?
1: Uh, I'm certainly not. I mean, I think Checo is one of, if not the best number two drivers, if you want to call him that, on the grid right now. As far as Checo being asked to kind of take team orders twice in this race, I, the note that I have is this is much to do about nothing. Both of these drivers were on different tire strategies very clearly. And if you take a look at the ultimate race results, Max Max's time beat him by 13 seconds. So... When it comes down to the end of the race, if if you're if you're getting beat out by 13 seconds, that's not because you were getting asked to pass once. It's it's because you just you either were on the inferior tire strategy or you just weren't as fast as the guy in front of you. Now we could talk about Max and his power being power unit issues, not being able to open up the DRS. Um, and him sitting behind him at one point in the race and basically saying, Hey, let me buy. I have the pace to get by. I believe it was George Russell that was in front of him. Um, but then when you take the three-stop pitch strategy into account that Max was on, ultimately, I think it's a wash in the end anyway, and it doesn't really matter.
0: Yes, I do agree. The much to do about nothing. The only problem with that is it was, it meant something to someone. And that person was Checo Perez. It was obviously something that he was upset about over team radio, uh, saying that it was unfair and that he would like to discuss this later with uh, Christian Horner and the team at Red Bull. But I also agree with you in the sense that this did not need to happen. Max Verstappen would have easily passed him. It might have taken 10 laps. Mm -hmm. He was on a different strategy, a three-stop strategy that was obviously the preferred strategy of the weekend. And it just would have played out as long as they didn't crash into each other. I know that's such a fear now because so many drivers have done it. Uh, Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton, um, Max Verstappen and Checo Perez, I believe, or Max Verstappen and uh, Daniel Ricciardo, excuse mm-hmm. me. Um, you know what I mean? So this does happen between teammates. And as long as they understand to the keep it clean, George Russell was never in play to overtake uh, second place. Mm-hmm. So why not just allow that to happen? You don't run into these questions. Checo obviously does not have the pace of Max Verstappen. He never has, and he never will. Max Verstappen is the best driver in the world currently, and that's how it's going to stand. But you do see why Checo is frustrated, and the Red Bull team, they kind of have this weird, we're barely keeping it together attitude that is being presented to us as fans. Uh, Christian Horner's always kind of deflecting, always in the media, always being the christian horner that he is um and master Verstappen is a whiny little uh i'm not gonna cuss so why allow the most likable one of the more likable drivers on the grid the ultimate team player why give him a reason to be upset with how he has to uh play the game
1: yeah no i mean that's it, it's fair and what i will say is i disagree with Checo saying that it wasn't fair for them to let Max pass the second time. They should have let him around the first time. It was very clear that Max was having DRS issues. He wasn't going to get by George Russell. Checo might have been able to get by George Russell. And as much as we talk about the three-stop pitch strategy ultimately being the best strategy, we'd be lying if we were saying that Red Bull was planning on doing that going into it. They were doing it because he didn't have the DRS.
0: The only time it really happened is because he went off. And yeah. that's why and it just never um, f- even on team radio, it came out that the plan was to have Checo repass Max if he couldn't get past George. And it just never turned into that due to uh, the, the changing uh, strategy and factors that uh, were in this race.
1: Yeah, uh, you mentioned it as well. So we'll talk about it now. You're you said you weren't going to cuss, but uh, I'll do it until we're on Spotify and, uh, and Apple podcast. Max, is being a whiny little bitch so uh this is my official statement that i am a red bull fan uh max is the best driver in the world as you referenced before if you put max in every other car he will outperform any other driver on the grid max needs to chill the fuck out max is being a whiny little baby the where's the fucking drs screaming his ass off over the radio like just chill out man like it's it's getting a little bit unbearable, and I I would like to say now I don't think I support Max Verstappen the person, but I certainly do support Max Verstappen the driver.
0: Oh, like it's tough. I'm hearing uh, glimpses of uh, I like LeBron, but I don't like LeBron.
1: Oh, this is a hundred percent LeBron's the best player on the planet, but I'm I'm not gonna watch his Instagram or follow him on Twitter. This is a hundred percent the same exact thing. I've uh. I've had enough until further notice.
0: Yes. Um, And it's so funny because, as you mentioned, uh, say, Lewis, Lewis Hamilton during his dominant streak has shown to show emotion uh, over team radio. But it's always so light and so proper and so uh, calculated. But you can even tell that he's a little upset and everybody makes the biggest deal of it. Max is just always whining. He could be winning the race and he's just whining. The only time you ever hear good things over radio is at the end of the race when Christian gets on and said, you won, mate. Congrats. And he goes, oh, thanks. It was tough.
1: The funniest part of it was when he was talking about the DRS not opening up and he was saying, I'm hitting it 50 times and it's not opening. And Christian was like, let's just press the button once. Wait, he's like, wait until you get around the corner and then press the button once.
0: Yeah, talking... Talking to him like he's like a five-year-old. Yeah, like, come on. You don't have to... You I think he said he was spamming it. Also, uh, with our race results, we would be uh, missed if we did not talk about George the Weasel Russell finishing in the top 10. As I said earlier, I did select George Russell for my pool pick this week. It was a very good selection. Um, It worked out with a top three. He put on a... What seemed to be a boring drive in the sense that he did start in uh, the second row in fourth, got away pretty cleanly with uh, Carlos Sainz stalling out and was able to uh, produce the podium. But it was not without some drama. He had to defend on Max Verstappen at uh, a couple points, really giving some interesting action between two drivers that we haven't really seen yet. And he showed once again that he's ready for that fight. He's ready to be a premier driver and I asked you a question earlier about Checo Perez being the best second driver in the world, and he may be. But is it kind of interesting that seven-time champion Lewis Hamilton is now the second, the best driver, second best driver on his team? Well, I, I I don't know. This is it. it this is six top fives for George Russell now. Another podium in an obviously inferior car. Total Wolf stating that they were a full second behind the Red Bull and the Ferrari in pace with these upgrades. They are now, they found half a second. So now they're looking to close that gap, uh, the extra half a second with these upgrades and unlocking some potential and some pace. Where does this shake up? Because I certainly think the Mercedes is back. And we now have a top six that will really be solidified in races moving forward. I don't see you're going to see too much of Valtteri Baltas maybe or Lando Norris jumping in there, uh, maybe even the Alpine. But they're back. And Lewis Hamilton also made an an incredible race, as we said earlier, dropping down to uh, 17th, 18th place after the contact to come back and finish in fifth. We would have had a fourth if he didn't have that DNF uh, possibility to where he had the coasting glide. So much for McLaren being the third best team on the grid.
1: Yeah, uh, I think I have to concede at this point that McLaren potentially may not be the third best team on the grid. The results are yet to be seen, but uh, the Mercedes is definitely impressive right now. I thought you were going to ask me another question. I thought you were going to ask me, is George Russell the second best driver on the grid? And I was going to ask you, is George Russell even a second, even a second driver? Uh, He's really, really talented. Not just an inferior car, but inferior car conditions for George Russell. At the beginning of the race, his car was overheating, and they basically told him that he needed to back off of it. Seemed like he managed it well through the middle of the race, and they almost had to retire the car like in the last 10 laps, and he managed to still squeak it out and get on the podium. He's one of the best drivers on the grid right now, and maybe a little bit of a spoiler uh, for the end of the episode, Sad Lewis is my my driver of the day. He had some really really unfortunate circumstances at the beginning of the race, climbing his way back up into the top five is an absolutely incredible result for Mercedes uh, coming out of this race and getting a three five and jumping into third in the constructors' championships by a solid margin. Definitely super impressive for the Mercedes. Are they back back? I don't know, but they're certainly back to being a top four, top three team in the Constructors race.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I will give my driver today, since you did mention it, I will have to go with Lando Norris uh, finishing in eighth place after what has now come out to find out that he has had tonsillitis all weekend and uh, has been in some pretty bad shape, uh, not being able to speak with reporters after the race to seek immediate medical treatment and it came out that he has tonsillitis. Uh, I really hope he gets better soon because it would have been interesting to see what he could have done there, uh, not having to suffer through that in a steaming hot car all weekend, but to come out eighth there is uh, extremely impressive under those conditions. So uh, good on Lando. Mike, a a lot more to unpack here, but I'll just ask you this. Uh, Give me some closing notes on Spain and the Spanish Grand Prix.
1: Uh, some closing notes. Yeah, like we mentioned earlier, Carlos signs great result. Maybe not the best drive. Probably should have gotten on the podium. But if you take a look at it afterwards, without watching the race, definitely not upset with the result. Fernando Alonso, despite what happened to him in qualifying and taking the power unit penalty, you still pretty much got what you expected to get out of him. If you took him, you got your you got your P9, and you getting your points, and you're moving on. Again, power unit failure seemed to be the uh, the the theme of the race, and ultimately the Bulls are back, baby.
0: On top, back again, taking the lead in the drivers and constructors championship. The final note I will have: uh, I mentioned a lot of Haas hype earlier. Not taking a any upgrades, Mick competing in his first Q3. Also, Kevin Magnussen uh, qualifying in Q3. Both Haas's not. In the points, again, Mick still chasing his first points in F1. Whoever the strategist at Haas is has to get fired immediately. This has been two or three calls at this point. The Haases were on a two-stop strategy the whole time. Even when they saw everybody moving to the three, they remained on the two. It would have gave Mick a shot to at least maybe uh, challenge Yuki Sonoda at the end. Kevin Magnuson was on the hard tires at one point. I don't know if they were just trying to get data, but it can't even be worthwhile data on the hard tires in this type of condition. So it really made no sense what they were doing out there. And it seems like they're just giving away points in a car that is seemingly able to produce. So I'm a little worried that uh, they might not be seeing the full potential that they could have this season
1: yeah uh one one last last note i guess uh just to kind of throw it out there joe guanyu's got to finish a race like he's just not finishing races it's it's insane but the only other retirement in this race joe guanyu going out in the 32nd lap with a power issue or a power unit failure which is a ferrari power unit but the guy's got to finish a race
0: i don't know how much they play it up a lot um on F1 Media about drivers getting seats because of the money that they bring in. It's obviously a uh, very elitist sport and a very uh, expensive sport, but Nicholas Latifi and Joe Guan Yu are two people who were brought into seemingly this F1 grid to score money. Uh, Joe Guan Yu from the Chinese audience and government and backers there, and Nicholas Latifi with his uh, billionaire of a father. So. It is very evident that a lot of people can compete here at this level and produce, but some people are just going to be consistently out of place. And it seems that Joe Gone is going down that road, uh, similar to a Lance Stroll or a Nicolas Latifi. Couldn't say better. All right, that will do it for our recap of the Spanish Grand Prix at the Circuit of Barcelona. Moving right into our pool standings, Tom Riccardi remains on top. Nick Cerullo doing his uh, last to first streak, ending up in second place now. Sean Hutton, yours truly, Frank Skruchewski in fourth, Dan Shuck in fifth, Michael Byrne slipping to sixth place now. Liam Callahan, James Lowe, Johnny Worthman, Megan Hutton, and Corey Cook tied for our tenth place. I'm seeing some strategy shake out here, Mike. Some people are faring better than others, uh, just comparing you and myself with uh, the way we've been going uh, up and down in these last couple of races. Still very maiden in our 2020 F1 season with only six races. We have 22 races on the season, so a uh, 16 more races to go. A lot of people um, down at the bottom haven't really uh, used they're big guns, as uh, one of the pool participants mentioned, he can't wait to be taking hashtag big names only. And uh, I'm kind of worried. I, I think I'm sitting pretty here in fourth place, but I don't know if that's the case because I haven't got results from certain uh, big, bigger named drivers, uh, even this George Russell. Third place now seems great, but in hindsight, after race 22, I might have missed two to three George Russell second places or maybe even a couple of wins. So I don't know what's going to help and how this is going to shake up. You're going to definitely need some people to miss. Uh, some people are going to hit at different times, but uh, this is uh, certainly shaping up to uh, make things interesting moving forward.
1: Yeah, for sure. Also, welcome to 2022. Uh, we had a pandemic in 2020. There was a lot of stuff that happened with Russia. Not sure if you knew, but we're in 2022, Frank. Um, what did in I say? 2020... You said 2020.
0: Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no idea what's going on.
1: it's all right um yeah as far as strategy is concerned I'm I'm slipping in the standings but I am not concerned at all uh my strategy at the beginning of the season was to take hashtag big names only and go with the known quantities and then over the course of the past couple of weeks definitely taken some value plays and got points out of them which I can only be happy with um so I still have uh, some horses in the tank for the end of the season, so I'm not concerned being in seventh.
0: Who'd you have this week?
1: I took Fernando Alonso, so kind of got what I grabbed more points than I
0: did when uh, when I had him. I thought he was uh that was the race that he thought he was going to be on pole at one point if it didn't uh the power didn't go out uh, during his like last two turns, but it's still yeah like when when does he pop and somebody has him and he gets 15. I don't yeah. know if that's possible, but the Alpine looks very good. They're consistently in the top 10. Uh, he obviously has the uh, power and pace to go from 20th to 8th. So it's going to be interesting where these start, things start shaking up and when you see people start getting more value in the same pick that you had. So that's what's going to be interesting. How much does those uh, those differences and maybe the, those hit or misses come into play?
1: Yeah, and a lot of wild cards out there. I don't know if we've had a ton of wild cards used yet, but I know we have one wild card used. I know I still have both of mine uh, remaining. I was thinking about using one this week in Monaco, kind of betting against the Charles Leclerc curse. However, with the power unit failure, I don't think I can do that anymore. If he's got to take a grid penalty, that's not something that I necessarily want to do now um we'll get to the pick a little bit later at least the projected pick but if that didn't happen i was very much eyeing up this week to have charles break the curse
0: wow very interesting i like to hear that mike all right we will go right into uh, our monaco grand prix preview monaco is a country evidently Uh, i have no idea but Monaco is the a Monegasque. Yes. Wow. Is that how you say that? It Charles is indeed. O- Charles Park o- is a Monegasque. Huh. Monaco circuit will host its probably, if we're doing math here, uh, 72nd Grand Prix. Uh, it's been hosting Grand Prix since the 1950s. 78 laps, a street circuit. It goes through the actual streets of Monaco. This is no joke. You are racing on a two-lane road. There, It is an extremely tight circuit. Our 2021 result had Max Verstappen with the win, Carlos Sainz coming in second, and Lando Norris rounding out the podium here. Any thoughts initially on the Monaco Grand Prix before I go into the schedule here, Mike?
1: Uh, yeah, so perception very different than reality of this race. We uh, we dubbed the Miami Grand Prix a few weeks ago the Super Bowl of Formula One. This is the actual Super Bowl of Formula One. This is the race that everybody gets up for. It's everybody's favorite race. But as far as the viewer is concerned, maybe not the best racing. Definitely great views, but maybe not the best racing to watch. Pretty much where you qualify is where you can expect to finish. Uh, and... Uh, I think we should expect much of the same this week.
0: Yeah, it's obviously the most historic track on the calendar. I don't know where to liken it to. Maybe a old Yankee Stadium where everybody's super excited to be there, but it just doesn't have the modern adjustments to make for quality racing in this point, Uh, your old Yankee Stadium used to, you used to be able to maybe sit behind a pole, a cement pole in the seats, or uh, they might have had some bad things that people necessarily didn't enjoy about making a good game, but this is certainly a track that everybody wants to be at, Um, most of these uh, drivers live in Monaco, Um, I'm not sure if it's some type of tax thing, or uh, because of its accessibility throughout Europe, uh, being centrally located, but... It is certainly um, the glitz and glam of F1. I think it is uh, it is the opening uh, episode of the drop. to Survive is Daniel Ricciardo's uh, win at Monaco. All right, we'll go right into the schedule for the Monaco Grand Prix. FP1 will take place on Friday, May 27th at 8 a.m., followed by Free Practice 2 at 11 a.m., on Saturday, May 28th, free practice tree will be at 7 a.m. And qualifying, where all picks will need to be submitted before 10 a.m. Sunday, the race will be on at 9 a.m. on May 29th. We're looking for a great weekend. The first back-to-back race weekends we will have on the 2022 calendar this year. I'm certainly excited for it. Like I said, uh, this will be some uh, premier racing coverage on the weekend because of the historic uh because of all the glitz and glam it will be very cool it's an awesome track to visually see cars race on because it's so tight because you're passing a coffee shop and a bar and a rolex store through your way down a beautiful tunnel coming out on the monaco coastline uh, littered with yachts and boats it's an awesome track to watch a race car drive through i just don't know if it's going to produce the racing that you want to see that's going to cause excitement you might see some red flags you might see some safety cars but i don't know if you're necessarily going to see any overtaking it seems like a place that if you make a good start on pole position or uh at second i think you might uh lead this race for its entirety and take home a win you know that being uh Uh, conducive to uh, pit stops and all the other good stuff that can happen but it really seems like here is going to be a a pretty boring race
1: yeah and to to that point that's why i referenced earlier that i thought about taking charles with the wild card here Mm -hmm. they have the fastest car if you qualify on pole you're most likely going to win the race which is why i mean everything that's kept charles from winning this race in the past is mostly just like him running into walls which can certainly happen here more than than anywhere else. But, so, um.
0: so two points to that statement. First off, you mentioned him having the fastest car. I believe they had the fastest car at Barcelona. But if we're looking at Red Bull's uh, straight line speed, Red Bull has dominated street circuits this year. Max has a win in Saudi Arabia. Max has a win in Miami. Uh, both two street circuits and this is going to be another street circuit that he won last year. So I don't know if maybe that's necessarily true. Um, I understand what you're saying, but I think it might flip flop based on track specific as we've kind of talked to about earlier. Um, it kind of happened last year with the Red Bull and the Mercedes, and it might be mm-hmm. happening this year currently with the Red Bull and the Ferrari. Uh, secondly, on that Charles Leclerc, jinx, we will bring up Charles Leclerc has raced, um, at Monaco, his home race, Charles Leclerc is a Monégasque. has never finished a race on this track. Most recently, the Monaco Historic, that was two weekends ago. Charles O'Clark got in a 1970s Nicky Loudon uh, Historic Ferrari and crashed into the wall. That being said, it was because of a brake failure. But it just seems that... But he was young, driving the car. He was driving the car. And it just seems that this young man... Uh, has a ring cloud that follows him on race weekends in Monaco. I I can't imagine from his uh, stunning good looks and um, his millionaire bank account that he has too hard of a time in Monaco, the 362 days out of the year. But these three days in Monaco, when there is a race and he's inside a car, he seems to have a black flag flying behind him. Does he break the streak? I mean, that's what everybody wants to see.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if, Ultimately, if the, the car holds up through qualifying and they finish on pole or in or, or P two, then I mean I he's just gotta finish the race. I mean, that's really the way that this track is. If he finishes the race, I think he has a really good chance to do it. Um, but that's why you're on the race. I guess we'll see.
0: It'd certainly be an exciting one and an exciting storyline to look forward to. Obviously, we've said earlier, Max Verstappen is currently your championship leader. Red Bull is currently on top of the constructors. Ferrari is now in a chase. And that is with two DNs from Max already this season. They need to bring it to Monaco to reestablish that they should be there. Or we could potentially look at a team like Mercedes creeping up and overtaking them for second. Because while Red Bull has its own internal problems, they've been here before and are now ready to become the dominant team. Their Mercedes has obviously fallen off this year uh, in the beginning of it, and Red Bull has taken that opportunity to produce points, um, not only in the driver's championship, but uh, in the constructors. So can Ferrari really float around with a okay second driver in Carlos Sainz, who seems uninspired, and Charles O'Clark, who can be mistake-prone at times, and obviously some reliability issues to boot so i really think the biggest storyline going into monaco is what's ferrari's move how do they respond because red bull has certainly uh responded pretty well to getting hit with the uppercut in the beginning of the season here and now it's ferrari's turn to see how they uh, bounce back
1: yeah no no question at all this is a big week for ferrari um for both the ferraris i should say not just for carlos Sainz and his image is maybe underperforming to his contract and charles got to finish a race in your home in your home country my man it's uh you just got to do it it's it's one of obviously the main headlines heading into the week and that's who everybody's eyes are going to be on
0: stakes have never been higher for him at a race now it seems i, I, I the way his career has you know a trajected this is this is why he's here and the stakes have never been higher to perform here at the monaco uh grand prix
1: i agree with that being said frank who are you looking at taking
0: Hmm. Mm-mm-mm. I stated uh, I've been playing the F1 game and I have taken a couple laps in Monaco uh, recently because of how tight it is and the unpredictability of it. I may uh, really dive into some research here and see if there's anybody on grid that maybe performs uh, historically well, uh, whether that be Sebastian Vettel. Or um, one of maybe those lower tier drivers who was always kind of seemed to make it in the points here because they just really enjoyed the track. I think this is one of those tracks that you really have to know and enjoy because it's so specific on turns and where you can and cannot miss. I also will be paying a ton of attention to coverage and free practices, as I always do. I think that's where you're going to get your best feedback on who's got pace on a weekend. And as we're seeing over six races, this changes and it changes very frequently. Uh, some due to upgrades and different track layouts and different, um, setups on vehicles, but also because of some wonkiness and some chicanery that happens during these races. So I think I'm going to really deep dive, uh, spoiler alert. I'm going to continue to say that I'm eventually going to take one of these Williams and maybe one day I will because I don't know what's going to happen in this race and I'm nervous about it, but I feel highly unlikely that I do think I'm going to probably settle down here and, uh, take one of these lower tier teams and just kind of hope for uh, the best in some points.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that's kind of a good strategy, especially with the unpredictability of this race. I think I'm going in a different direction, not taking a top tier name. Like I said, I would love to take Charles here, but with the power issue failure or the power unit failure last week, if he's got to take a penalty, I don't want to take him. With that being said, the next guy in line, if you're talking about the next most reliable driver, who's won here before and has the straight line speed I could throw the wild card on Max Verstappen, but with the Charles Leclerc storyline out there, I don't feel like I'm comfortable doing that. So I'm going to be taking the route of a guy who's a notoriously excellent qualifier and not a notoriously excellent racer in Valtteri Bottas.
0: Okay, I like that. I like that idea there. Um, He's definitely shown that he's there to compete. Uh, I don't know if they expanded that George Russell, he's finished in, I don't, I don't know if response may not finish a race this year, but he's consistent, consistently in that top six, top seven. He's really produced for um, Alfa Romeo in a car that Joe you can't even, you know, finish a race in. So um, I do like that pick. He's. Uh, it's interesting uh, across our picks here that he's somebody that will never be taken by four or five people in a week, mm-hmm. but always, somebody always takes Botas every week. Somebody will take him. He's some, one of those guys that everybody sees and kind of realizes like, you know what, this is the race he's going to, you know, just get me my points and get me you, where their comfort is. And I think that's a, an interesting place for him that I, you wouldn't think him moving to a team and he would be kind of that comfort blanket to guarantee you that top six, top seven, top 10, at least, you know, you're going to get points, but he's kind of been that this year. So um, I think that's a great selection.
1: Yeah, it's, I think it makes the most sense. Of course, I'm going to pay attention to free practice and see, uh, kind of how everybody's doing but a guy who's definitely familiar with the track and when we're talking about the type of racing that's going to be happening with not a lot of not a lot of overtaking opportunities and a guy who i said notoriously really good qualifier but then not notoriously as good of a racer per se trying to maximize finishing position if i can get him closer to his qualifying ceiling as opposed to his racing ceiling that's kind of the spot where i'm going to take him
0: yeah, I like that. All right, um, I'll give a uh, just race pick in general. Um, I think this is a Charles Leclerc beat the streak opportunity, and I'm going to take him uh, even to uh, go over Max Verstappen and my previously stated uh, dominance on street circuits this season. So I will take Chuck Leclerc as uh, he's known back here in the States to uh, win the first time at the Monaco Grand Prix. What about you, Mike?
1: Uh, I... I I tend to agree with you. It's the reason why I was considering throwing the wild card on him in the first place. But I will, you know what, I'll go against the grain. I will say the Mercedes is back and George Russell wins his first race in Formula One at the Monaco Grand Prix. Put it in the books. George Russell
0: Wins the Monaco Grand Prix. Wow, I love it. I think that's a, a great call. I think it's our first uh, prediction that's outside of the box. I don't know how much George Russell can really be outside the box, considering he is uh, third in the driver's champion or fourth behind uh, Sergio Perez in the driver's championship. But I really do like that call because eventually here something's going to happen, and it's not going to be Max or Charles winning races. It's going to be somebody else. Uh, last year, I think there was close to ten different race winners throughout the season. Uh, because there's just so many different things that happened. So um, I would really like to see a, uh, a somebody else winning a race for once and really popping that champagne. So I really like that call. All right, we will close out our fourth official episode, our first as the Finishing First podcast. Michael, we're coming into a little rhythm here where we're going to start producing these podcasts a lot more frequently with the season really ramping up. I can't say I've been having uh, much more fun than I really have with you. I hope that uh, is relayed through our conversations here on this podcast. I'm really enjoying doing this. We're doing this for an audience of about 20 people. Uh, I think we're going to try to go live here on uh, Apple and Spotify so you guys can download it a little bit easier onto your phones. I don't know how many other uh, fantasy or gambling interests that you have that produce a podcast that basically directly towards you. So I hope that you guys are enjoying this. Uh, If you guys could like, review, subscribe, whatever that may entail once we do drop uh, this live on Apple and Spotify, I think it'd be great. We really want some engagement from our audience. So, uh, Michael, on some closing thoughts, anything uh, to plug out on our way?
1: Uh, shout out Nick Beers for a big week in, uh, in golf, winning about 1000 in, uh, bucks in a, uh, a quote-unquote charity pick that we have and uh, picking the winner in a season long. Shout out to him. Don't think he's going to listen to this, but big week for Nick Beers. Uh, Frank, really enjoyed doing this. Definitely something that I look forward to every week, and I hope everybody – uh, enjoys what we what we talk about and that we add a little bit of context to what's going around on week, on race weekend. Yeah, good times.
0: That being said, I am at the F609, your commissioner, Mr. Frank Svajewski, signing out from the finishing first podcast. As always, like a mattress going up these stairs on moving day. push, push,
1: push, push, F.
0: That was good. So uh, yeah, there's no way this is getting on Apple and Spotify. I think like that's like too much work. But um,
1: at least we gave it a go. Yeah, man.